In this audio recording, we're going to turn to the problem of evil. And we have here four expert philosophers. Professor Mona Siddiqui, who's a Muslim theologian at Glasgow University. Rabbi Mark Goldsmith, from the Aylith Synagogue in London. Keith Ward, who's a professorial research fellow at Heathrop College, University of London. He's a philosopher and a priest in the Church of England. And Dr. Peter Cave, who's an atheist and chair of the Humanist Philosophers Group. The existence of evil is often presented as the most compelling objection to the belief in God. That is, how can a world created by an all-powerful and all-loving God have so much evil in it? Well, Dr. Cave is an atheist. I would imagine that this is an objection that convinces you. Perhaps you're going to tell me I'm wrong. But I wondered, whatever you think yourself, if you could begin by stating for us the problem of evil. Your imagination in this case is perfectly correct. When we're talking about evils in this context, I think we're talking about unnecessary sufferings. And then the argument, the problem, is very simple. There are three propositions. One proposition is that God is all-powerful, including all-knowing. The second proposition is that God is all-good. God is omnibenevolent. And the third proposition is evils, these sufferings, do exist. We seem then to have an inconsistent threesome Because, assuming we do accept, as most people do, that unnecessary sufferings do exist, then either God cannot abolish evil, in other words, he's not all-powerful, or he won't, in other words, he's not all-good. So we have to give up on one of those propositions, and of course, as an atheist, I'm inclined to give up indeed on two, and say, in fact, there's no God at all. Keith Ward. (coughs) Peter, of course, has uh, stated uh, the problem uh, exactly. I, myself, as a Christian, though I don't speak for all Christians, would give up God's omnipotence. The definition of omnipotence that I give up is one that most medieval Christian philosophers accepted, namely, that God can do anything which can be stated without self-contradiction. So God could remove all the evil in the world and leave the world otherwise the same. Uh, I reject that idea of omnipotence, And my response to that problem, which is indeed a great problem, of the existence of unnecessary suffering, is that God cannot do anything about it. Then the problem for the believer is to say, why do you think this? Why can't God do anything about it? My general response uh, would be that we human beings, as evolved uh, carbon-based intelligent life forms can only exist in a universe whose general laws are what they are, and they produce the sorts of beings we are with all the evils associated with it. In other words, my response is, some evils are necessary to our existence. So what is the evil necessary for? Uh, Well, for example, uh, if you're going to have carbon atoms, of which all organic life is made... They have to be formed in the fusion, uh, nuclear fusion of stars, which uh, causes huge explosions. And if you're anywhere near uh, a supernova, an explosion of a star, you will suffer. Uh, But without that nuclear fusion, hydrogen and helium atoms would not form carbon atoms and you couldn't have life. Mark Goldsmith, you are Jewish and I think the thing everybody knows about the Jews is their terrible persecution at the hands of the Nazis. Does the amount of evil that the Jews have suffered in their history never make you question that they could be God's chosen people? The interpretation of chosen people that you're suggesting there is not really one I think that most Jews accept. 
The chosen people doesn't mean that you're, you're given a, an easy ride through history. I mean, for Jews, the, the problem of evil has, a cup, has, again, a number of different solutions. One of them is that we're simply working on too short a time scale. And if you look at the whole of the time of the universe, then it all comes OK in the end. That's one possibility. The other one is that God shrinks back from the world in order to create some space. The idea of free choice or uh, Hebrew doctrine, it's called hestapanim, the idea of the, the hiding of the face from some parts of life, which enables human beings to do dreadful, dreadful things to each other. The suffering at the hands of the Nazis or the suffering uh, of Jews when all the expulsions happened in the medieval times, or the destruction of the temple, all of them meant that Judaism had to have this idea that world history was not going to make chosenness have anything to do with having an easy ride. It does, however, give a Jew a sense of mission in the world, to try to improve the world and to try to make a corrective to those things which are wrong in the world. So you've really summed up there your three reasons for mm-hmm. believing in God despite the problem of evil is that um, God may have drawn back from the world in some way to, to give us free choice, that the problem of evil may be good for our spiritual development and that God's way is not our way. Mona Siddiqui, is there anything you'd like to add to that? I suppose um, the, in some ways Muslim philosophers didn't see a direct analogue with evil evil in the Christian sense. And they sometimes dismissed the problem, dissolved it almost immediately as it came up, because um, suffering and evil does come from God. You cannot, as Keith was saying, and, and Keith said quite rightly, you cannot have an omnipotent God um, or omniscient God or a benevolent God and attribute evil. But within the largely, Muslim tradition largely believes that it is in his very omnipotence and his very omniscience that there is also evil. Now, one could argue that Iblis, who later becomes Satan in the Quran, is a personification of evil and has this pact with God that if you are so confident in human nature, I will have a pact with you that I will turn them towards my way and you try and see if you can turn them towards your way. But I think in the end, if one looks at the Quran itself, man is going to face trials and, trials and tribulation throughout his whole life. And the test of faith is how you deal with that trial and tribulation. Whether you call it evil, whether you call it suffering, these are all here as part of the human condition. A line of thinking, though, which has been mentioned, is to do with God stepping back and allowing us to have free choice and free will. I think that's a very dubious argument in any case, but one clear way in which it does not work is with regard to these natural evils, the earthquakes, the floods, and so on. It's very, very difficult to believe that it's human free will which has caused those gigantic earthquake or an outrageous flood. Could I turn the question on its head? Because some people argue that, would say to an atheist, that the presence of good in the world, of so much goodness in the world, of so many acts of heroism, of so many people going beyond what is rational to do uh, great uh, self-sacrifice, proves that we yearn for goodness and that therefore there must be a God and that God must be good. It certainly shows that... um Humanity has a feeling, typically, of the good, but that's all perfectly compatible with living inside a natural world. There's no reason to draw the conclusion from that, that, oh, therefore, there must be a God. I think there's an important point here, because I'm tempted to comment on John Stuart Mill, a great Victorian philosopher who made the point, if we did not start off with a presupposition in favour of a loving God, 
and just looked at the evidence, the evidence would in fact blacken God's name. It would in fact point to a malevolent or malicious God because, of course, there is so much suffering in the world. It would seem natural to say, well, if we are going to say the world has been created, it's been created by a devilish type of God. But it's a natural world, Peter. I, that, that seems to me very important. And there's a beautiful illustration of that in one of the mitzvot, one of the Jewish duties. That's the duty called Bikur Cholim, the duty to visit the sick and to help those who are ill, which basically means that the assumption is there are going to be people who are ill. And that that, therefore, is not an evil, it's a phenomenon that is part of the natural world that's being given to us as humanity. Um, And and so do you think that the sheer quantity of ills, the sheer quantity of diseases and harms and sufferings and pains, that particular quantity is compatible with there being a loving God, rather than being, say, for example, two powerful forces, a, a loving God and also a malevolent demon, and in fact they're being roughly equally balanced. Well, Judaism's challenged that for, for, for a long time. It works fine. It certainly works fine for me, and I think it's worked fine for Judaism for, quite, for, for, for thousands of years on the basis that we are confronted with the world that we have, we have ways that we are then to deal with it as people, hence this, this idea of the duty to visit the sick and to help. I think that one of the issues I have is with the phrase a loving God, what that means. And if a loving God, in the opinion of some people, means that there will not be any suffering in this world, that's not how I understand a loving God. Um, for me, however hard it is for us as humans, suffering is very much part of the human condition. Suffering not necessarily through illness and through the injustice people do, but through our own angst, through our own um, doubt, through our own journey through life, which... At points, it's not about the big sufferings of the world. It's just about the small dilemmas that we face. But what's your view about these other sufferings and to do with these sufferings as a result of earthquakes and floods and such like? All of this, from a, from a very simplistic Islamic perspective, would be that whether it's... These are all signs, all divine signs. You choose to interpret them. Divine signs of what? Of, of God. Of I'm not, a good, God? not necessarily a loving God, which would mean that there would, there would never be any evil or any suffering in the world. But the human condition, as we understand it, cannot be understood outside of human suffering. But so does that mean the human condition necessarily involves a suffering resulting from earthquakes, from floods? I think so, yes. Oh, so I think that's it rather does. similar to Keith's position. And you think that your God, all-powerful, all-good, is unable to change that? This is the problem. When you say all good, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily equate with that there will not be suffering in the world. And would you hold that then, if you believe in this, in a heavenly life as well? It, is there happens? going to be evil in heaven? We have absolutely no idea other than the stories depicted in Scripture as to what is going to be in heaven. I assume that heaven is going to be the reward for how you have confronted evil and suffering and retained faith. So I think I would be rather alarmed to think that there was a theology of evil in heaven. That's, why that's, is the, sorry, why is the suffering so unevenly distributed? Because we're not all tested in the same way. We're not all tested, and that is the, I would say that is a bigger test, that many people feel that they are faithful, they are good, they're doing righteous work, and yet they still face suffering upon suffering, and they can't make sense of it. And I don't think I have the answer to that. So mm. we're back to your way is not my, is not my way. Well, we're back to trying to understand that despite what we think God should be doing, despite what we think the world should look like, the world is as we find it. I want now to ask each of you to give us a short final statement. So having heard what we've heard 
a short summary of um, how you reconcile or don't reconcile the problem of evil. Professor Ward. Well, I think there's uh, a danger of thinking of God as a person just outside the universe who could change it all and make it a lot better, but chooses not to. And then that's an impossible view. Uh, there's also a problem for philosophers of thinking they know what the concept of God is. It's an omniscient, omnipotent being in terms they choose to define, and then you generate the problem, how could there be evil? Uh, I would reject both those starting points and say where you start with God is with the basic um, belief um, that there is a consciousness which has generated this universe for the sake of the good that is in it. Mark Goldsmith, a final brief thought. The world is set up as it is. This is what we receive as humanity when God created the world. Off we go. We have to apply the correctives to those parts which God has tasked us with correcting. Peter Cave. I can see no good reason at all to believe in a God or gods. I think it would be far, far better for us all to concentrate on our fellow feeling and helping each other. And I think, in a way, many, many religious believers are doing that and they use the language of God in order to express this concern for other human beings and indeed other creatures. Mona Siddiqui. I think suffering does come from God, but it's there to challenge us and to see how we can carry on believing in the benevolence of God, despite what we all experience. Thank you all very much indeed. Thank you. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.